Hello and welcome to the Chronic Living Podcast, your need-to-know source for living with a chronic illness or disability. I'm your host, Alex Pappas, and I'll be sharing my experiences living with a chronic illness, as well as inviting others on to share their stories. So join me in shining a light on the world that is chronic living. All right, guys, thank you for joining me for another episode. Today, I am joined by Jessica, and she's going to share some of her experiences being part of the chronic community. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me. Having me. One of those days. So go ahead and introduce yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. It's a holiday, so it's one we go with, Columbus Day. <laughs> so go ahead and introduce yourself and I guess what you've been diagnosed with. Okay. Um, my name is Jessica Green Brown. I'm 38 years old. Um, I have uh, bipolar disorder, uh, type one. And I was diagnosed with it whenever I was 11 years old. I was was born with it. Um, I also uh, was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, and that developed due to severe trauma and abuse in my early childhood. Um, Let's see here. Um, Bipolar disorder is a mental condition marked by alternating periods of elation and depression. Um, post-traumatic stress disorder is a condition of persistent mental and emotional stress occurring from injury or severe psychological shock, typically involving the disturbance of sleep and constant vivid recall of the experience with dulled responses to others and the into the outside world. Okay. And how do those affect, I guess affect you on a day-to-day basis? Well, uh, whenever I was roughly 10 years old, my grandmother told me stories uh, whenever I went to stay with her of grinding my teeth to the point she thought I was going to break them, fighting in my sleep, and it actually tormented her to watch me. So as far as the post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. So that was just, it kind of came out while you were sleeping or it was noticeable Mm -hmm. for other people. Okay. I also kicked my ex-husband across the room uh, in my sleep, and he couldn't wake me up. Oh, so not necessarily an inability to sleep, like a deep sleep where you're just kind of locked into whatever's yep. going on. Night terrors. Damn. Okay. I I thought that was more associated with just like waking up, you know, it, it preventing you from sleeping. Not necessarily the opposite of. I have insomnia too. Oh, so, so, so fun, fun little combo. So what's sleep then, right? So, so sometimes you're too locked into it and sometimes you don't get enough. Well, actually, believe it or not, I haven't had post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms since I went catatonic in my late twenties. Okay. So that one really doesn't affect you that much nowadays more. No. The the flip side of it with the insomnia and then the bipolar disorder. Right. So how does, I guess, bipolar disorder still, still, affecting you on a day-to-day basis still something you deal with more regularly or was that more when you were younger uh no um bipolar disorder is what i think caused the catatonia that i went into Mm -hmm. um and since then my post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms left but without medication now i can't stay conscious oh if i go roughly six months without medication i tried it (laughs) I was like, maybe I don't need my meds. Well, chances, uh, I need my meds because right. I couldn't stay, I couldn't stay conscious. I kept going back into catatonia. Okay. And that's from the bipolar 
disorder. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. So you have just, I guess, daily medication you take or is it? Yeah, more? I'm on maintenance medications, um, okay. which are like Depakote and Abilify and low doses of them at this point. Um, but without them, I literally can't stay conscious. Well, it hmm. is. It's, so is that, it's from the bipolar. Is it like a specific type of bipolar disorder that kind of leads to that versus the, I guess what most people understand is the, the mood swings? Uh, it's more than mood swings for me. Um, it's less mood swings. I cycle roughly about every 13 years. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as far as moods, um, mine may be a little different. Mm -hmm. but they call it bipolar disorder or type one with psychotic features. Okay. Okay. So different than, because I, I know I've talked to someone where it was more so the like extreme mood swings. That they, they really have with. no idea where it comes from. Yeah. Okay. And I guess, what do you, what would you like to kind of inform people on when it comes to dealing with this and kind of how it affects you on a day-to-day -day basis in your life? Um, honestly, I, you can, you can still do what you can do mm -hmm. with a disability. Uh, like for instance, despite, you know, my disability, I'm able to still contribute to society. In other words, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't stop me from doing what I want to do any more than I let it. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good, because I know some people, depending on what you're diagnosed with, there's a lot more of the limitation side, whether, you know, be physically or mentally, that you you just can't do. I know, thankfully, what I deal with has been in remission for quite a while, the, the colitis. So for the most part, I can be a, a functional human being. Um, it does limit certain things, like more recently, not taking a, 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 a mechanic job, just because I understand when your body's already somewhat broken physically, um, adding jobs that have a high stress or high demand on your body where aren't the aren't the greatest combo as much as I want to do it. But other than that, you know, I can still function fairly well. Gotta stay away from spicy food though, which hurts my soul. Everybody but. has some type of special needs. Everybody. Yeah. Um basically the way I see it is being work in progress always. I'm constantly learning and growing. Yeah. After all, room for improvement is the biggest room in the world. I'm far from perfect, but I do my personal best. And I believe that is enough, not just for me, but for anyone. Mm -hmm. You'd be surprised what you can achieve with just doing your own personal best. Yep. Yep. And well, and, and growth, growth is always something I think that we should always be constantly doing, regardless of where we're at. And I know it's been something I've been greatly working on in the past two years and something I've seen a lot of... Uh, improvement in in the past six months of just running the podcast so i know i'm it's, it's definitely i guess opening a lot of doors for me both in myself and in the community which is kind of cool so follow yeah following the things that you're passionate about and working on them and growing and then you know having a uh, always working to have a better understanding of of people around you and in this case people in the community kind of how the how what they're dealing with affects them uh, my, my disability is part of me, of course, um, but it doesn't define me or what I can do. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, 
but despite the fact that you know i have a disability i i'm a licensed bsw social worker with a pre-apprenticeship manufacturing certification mm-hmm. um i volunteer as the ambassador for nasca which is the national association of adult survivors of child abuse for the state of west virginia okay that's pretty cool I facilitate a female sex abuse support group for SCSA, Survivors of Childhood Sex Abuse. Um, And I volunteer for the Humanity Preservation Foundation. I'm in the Women Igniting Change Program. And I'm working on my own initiative there. And then I- Super involved. Yes. And I'm also on, sorry. No, super, which is a good thing, which is a good thing. And and I I say it a lot. I kind of say that pain puts things into perspective and that perspective can give us a purpose. Mm -hmm. which I think I find a lot of people in the chronic and the disabled community are advocates and helping promote or push forward research on whatever they're dealing with a lot Mm -hmm. more than you would find just the average person doing so. Mm -hmm. I think it's because of, because of what we we deal with on a regular basis. So. I just learned too about a week ago that I'm on the uh, forefront of uh, helping to rebuild the child welfare system in the United States as well. well that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole nother, whole nother <laughs> realm, especially when mm-hmm. it comes to the chronic community, when it comes to kids, that it's just like, oh, it's, it's a weird category because kids deal with a lot of the different chronic illnesses and disabilities, and they're getting diagnosed with them a lot more commonly. One, Mm -hmm. because diagnosis rates are getting more accurate and there's a lot more knowledge around some of the rarer diagnoses, Mm -hmm. but I think it's part also what kids are going through, not only what, you know, food does to people in the United States with all the stuff that they pump into our foods on the digestive side, just because I have colitis, um, but the mental aspect of it well, as well from depression and anything associated with the mental side just because mm-hmm. kids are a lot more connected all the time mm-hmm. so I, I i see that and affecting things as well and, and i talk about that because in the um ibd community which is irritable bowel disease which is colitis falls under with with crohn's um there was was it like three years ago now a little 10 year old boy that had a bunch of complications ended up getting a um ostomy bag, a little bag that they put on when they take out parts of your intestines or your digestive tract if it's not working properly. Um, and age of 10, went through 26 surgeries by the age of 10, which is a ton. Uh-huh. Ended up committing suicide because he was getting teased at school for his back. And that's, I guess, part of, part of the long-term goal with the podcast is try to get more involved with the kids that have a lot of these conditions and helping them through the school part. Thankfully, I got diagnosed at 17 right after I graduated. So I didn't have to deal with colitis through school, but I can't even imagine having to go to the bathroom on a constant basis in school. I mean, hell, I'd get, teachers would give you crap if you need to go to the bathroom twice within a class, let alone every 10 minutes. So so it's good to see people and, and it's good to know people that are involved in anything to do with kids because they got a lot of problems and unfortunately they have a lot less resources because they're tied to their parents Mm -hmm. who half the time are more distracted with work 
and paying for a house and everything else to then to recognize some of the stuff going on with the kids, which is right. unfortunate, but the reality that is today. Well, um, <clears throat> my disability, um, that it's hard to place it compared to the post-traumatic stress disorder up until I turned 18. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as the difference which one was causing what because it could have been a toss-up based on either my experiences mm -hmm. as far as my behaviors or it could have been my disability and yeah. my reaction to that um I was on medication up until I turned 18 um I spent four and a half years in Golden Girl group home um I overdosed I tried to commit suicide whenever I was 12. Um, I was a runaway. Um, I was restrained numerous times. So I did have behaviors whenever I was in state's custody. I, was, I aged out at 18. Um, so my, I don't know if it was bipolar or post or a combo of both, um, but I did have special needs. And whenever I aged out at 18, I, I went into the Air Force and they found out I was bipolar and sent me home. Yep. Yep. They didn't want me. <laughs> yep. If you're if you're a certain level of broken, they don't they don't let you serve in anything. I was I yeah. was planning on doing the Coast Guard, actually. Um, can't sign up till you're 18. And I got colitis at 17 and a half. I was like, damn, I could have waited a couple of years and the, and the Coast Guard could have paid for it. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's what a lot of people don't understand is, you know, there's there's not always a ton of options kind of starting out because a lot of people are like, oh, well, you can just join the military. There's a lot of stuff you can do. Well, depending on what you're diagnosed with, there's, even though like myself and, and yourself, you know, we can function on a normal day-to-day -day basis. We can still be productive members of society. I never did anything wrong in boot camp. I was an element leader in the platoon going home. Yeah, yeah, and and could be perfect for you know some form of the the uh, armed it was, forces it was but, just bipolar yep uh, there's a lot of things where if you have a if you have a chronic or an ongoing condition they don't allow that just because mm -hmm. of the medication tied to it um and they don't they don't work with that at all so a lot of people cannot join now on the flip side you know we can we can never get drafted which is kind of nice but <laughs> <laughs> well that is true now now if, if it gets to that point I, I don't think we're going to be doing that great anyway if it gets to the point where we need to have a draft but we don't have to worry about that so that's always a plus but yeah it, it, it is limiting in that aspect now because i wanted to join the coast guard and figure that would have worked best for me but can't do it if you have colitis well <laughs> list I, of other things i was the type of kid growing up um uh let's see here my first therapist she talked about my mom and she was lying and i called her on it told her to go f herself ran out of our office and down the street just some of my behaviors um i jumped out of a social worker's moving car whenever i was thir 13 roughly um because they told me they were going to put me in lockdown I said, no, you're not. See ya. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. And I jumped out of a moving vehicle. Sounds Ran away. Like, sounds like fun. Yeah, 
that was my personality. Uh, one time I ran away from the group home. One of the group home girls there tried to, she grabbed my shirt and said, don't run away, Jessica, don't run away. I was like, oh, you wanted my shirt? Okay, here you go. I took it off, ran down the street, my bra. That was me. <laughs> Sounds... I, I think I was probably 15 then. Sounds, I was pretty like wild. Fun. Well, you know, maybe it's not a the bad thing. The group home dealt with a lot time. with me. They did, but they never gave up on me. Well, it's good I, that you're in a good one. It's not a. It's not your average group home. It was like a regular home with a lot of girls. We even went to public school. So they had a lot of patients. Yes, they a had lot to of patients. <laughs> they had to with me. I can, I was, I can just imagine like a. a a house full of teenage girls that you'd have to have a lot of patience in general oh yeah let alone if if you know let alone the fact that i'm sure a lot of them had their, their own things that they were dealing with on yeah. top of being around a bunch of other teenage females so i know they had trouble keeping up with me so. <laughs> i was hard to keep up with um but i calmed down once i got into college that's good uh, and they, the group home actually, I think, figured me out towards the time I was 16, 17 years old um, because I used running away as coping. And they, they put it in my treatment plan that I had there that if I signed out, I wouldn't be considered going AWOL. Hmm. Well, at least it worked with you on that aspect versus yeah. using it against you. Yeah. So, um, but good. I never got into drugs or alcohol or anything like that. I was always really good in school. Um, despite missing most of middle school, I graduated on time uh, from high school with high honors. Damn, that's good. So I caught up um, despite missing most of middle school being moved around so much. Uh, a lot of that had nothing to do with me. Um, I, like my first foster home, um, it didn't work out because my foster mom thought I was going to run away. So she grabbed me and dragged me back in her house and it ended up a full restraint. I fought back. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, my second foster home, I, CPS sent me home. I had no control over that. Um, and I never could get back into that particular home because she never had any more beds made. I still have contact with her. I actually had her recognized at my college graduation uh, because she did go above and beyond. Oh, that's good. It's good to run into those people that actually care every mm -hmm. once in a while. Um, I, like, I don't have a sob story. I have a, a story of strength despite adversity. You know, we all choose how we want our story to read. Oh, I can yeah. agree with that. You can, I mean, I think, well, I mean, I, I think a lot of us that get diagnosed at a later point, we have our, we have our little pity party stage mm -hmm. where we're, you know, you're okay. adapting over to them. Yep. Where you're adapting to whatever you're dealing with and, and you feel so bad for yourself. But I think once you get past and kind of accept what you're dealing with, um, and I say it a lot, you know, we can learn a lot from what we've gone through. And I think there is kind of the purpose behind a lot of this and a lot of the pain and 
it pushes a lot of people and I, and I see a lot of people that are in the community and a lot of the different groups that are all about advocacy. It pushes a lot of people to, you know, once we make it over that, that one feeling bad for ourselves, and the two, the lowest point that we're at, because we all have that, that super deep low that comes mm-hmm. along with it. And we might even have a couple of them. You know, once we get past that and realize like, Hey, you know what? I didn't have fun dealing with that. And I want to prevent other people from having to go through it best as mm-hmm. I can. Can't, in a lot of cases, can't completely stop the pain. Mm-hmm. But if I can help them suffer a little less mm-hmm. than I had to. Well, the way I see it, if sharing my, the reason I'm sharing my story is if it helps even just one person, it gives my story, my experiences, purpose and meaning. And that's worth it to me. Yep. Every bit of it. And that, that's the thing. That, that was one of the big things for me is I know personally how low I was at. And I understand, mm-hmm. especially with COVID and people being even more isolated, that there's hundreds of people out there that are going through the exact same stage of their diagnosis mm-hmm. today. Yeah. Like they're at that low. There's hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of people that are at that lowest level of low Mm-hmm. today and they're dealing with it so that That's, that that for me was same thing like you know i'm gonna talk about it and say hey look i made it past it it sucks we can acknowledge it sucks there was nothing fun about it but once you make it past it you're stronger because of it you mm-hmm. can learn a lot from it and if you're if you approach it the right way going forward you have a lot more control over what you feel mm-hmm. both emotionally and physically in the pain aspect of it for, for a lot of people. I know like for myself, I was, I was handling my symptoms poorly. Mm-hmm. So I paid for it. <laughs> I paid for it. Oh, I've handled them poorly before. Like yep. I overdosed them whenever I was 12. I felt, I mean, that was my lowest point that I think I've ever been. I literally did not feel worthy of sleeping in a bed. So I slept in my closet. And ultimately that's what woke my mom up and she was able to get me to the hospital. So it saved my life too. So yeah yeah and we all go through those lows and it's about understanding accepting and i think at the end of it not feeling shame for it like we all go through it mm-hmm. and that's part of why you know i started the podcast is to have that kind of logical conversation mm-hmm. around depression and suicidal thoughts especially in the chronic community like we there's, there's a ton of things where it's fully you know a hundred percent reasonable to be depressed you got a ton of mm-hmm. medical debt. That's a legitimate reason. Oh, these goals and these, these you know, career path that you had, you can no longer do because some new limitations that come in. Mm-hmm. That's a legitimate reason. Oh, there's all these medications and the medications cause you to be depressed. Or the way people treat you because you have a disability. The way people treat you, the way that your social circle changes. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I went through it a ton with colitis because when you have mm-hmm. colitis, you're tied to a restroom. When you're tied to a restroom and your colitis is acting up, you don't want to eat a ton of stuff because the more you eat, the more you go. So when people would, you know, want to go out and everybody wants to go to the bar or whatever that you work with, like you, you say no. Somebody's having a cookout. God forbid you go to a cookout and you don't want to eat any food. You're just, or you're dropped you're like a hot potato because you're considered a liability if you get sick. Yep. So people, you know, you, you stop going to them. So people stop inviting you. Mm -hmm. we're getting treated different at work because 
you know, you can't quite keep up in the same way or you're going to make some changes. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I definitely noticed it when I was in a flare up getting constantly treated differently because I was in the bathroom a ton, even though I was keeping up at the time I worked retail, I was keeping up with sales, but that didn't matter. Or it's held against you even on a college level. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of logical like, reasons. That like you can whenever be I got sick, it's held against me. The timeline. Attendance the time wise. And, yep. Mm-hmm. You might not yeah, be able to show up to class and a lot of college classes. They, that's part of your grade. Attendance. Oh, is part I'm of talking about just admission. Oh yeah. Trying to get into like applying mm-hmm. for that too. With bipolar disorder, uh, you're discriminated against. I've had mm-hmm. it. Not all, but there was one school that did. Well, yeah. I mean, attendance is a big thing for a lot of different conditions. Oh, no. no. Have... It, it wasn't attendance. It was trying to get into the program. Because you had bipolar disorder? They would. Oh, no, They didn't even consider the my disability at all in the time that... Uh, I had between the time I graduated from, you know, and all that stuff, they asked them to consider it. Mm -hmm. They never even asked about it. They never even considered it. And I graduated with my bachelor's degree with a 4.0 in social work, a 3.3 over 3.4 overall GPA honors in 2008. And I was only able to get into this particular master's program on a conditional basis. And yet, whenever I first graduated, I applied to WVU and I got in on the advanced curriculum. And I could barely get conditional a few years later because I got sick. Yep. That's saying something. Yep. Well, yeah, because when you get sick, they notice. Yeah. They notice. After I I got sick, suddenly I'm barely conditional. Really? Yep. They and not them. in their advanced curriculum, into the regular curriculum. So, yeah, yeah, when something, when it becomes noticeable, and mm-hmm. for those of us that have invisible disabilities, you know, a lot of the time, we can sneak by, and a lot of people won't know, they don't notice, because mm-hmm. if it's not acting up, how can you tell? Yeah, However, no, and people look at me, and they, they can't tell I have a disability. They're like, you have a disability? What? You know, unless I tell. Oh, same here. Yeah, I look like a normal guy. Uh, mm -hmm. Every day, average day. Mm -hmm. And and what, you know, a lot of people don't realize is the amount of things that even you can look at me that are related to my disability. Like, I I shaved my head because I lost half my hair from a medication I was on. Nobody knows that. I just shaved my head and I have a beard. Mm -hmm. Can't tell. Whenever I got... Whenever I got sick, it wasn't just, you know, catatonia. At the same time, simultaneously, my back and my face and my chest all broke out in cystic acne to the point that it was covered. They had to put me on Accutane for a long time just to control the cystic acne that broke out while I was catatonic. My whole body broke down. That does not sound fun. No. My brain shut down. My body broke down and it was awful but if you make it through that you're not qualified to come to school (laughs) even the ronald mcdonald house discriminated against me because the way i looked during that time i tried to volunteer with them whenever i was sick 
they accused me of not wearing a bra. I had a freaking bra on and I showed the strap to them. What more do you want? But th they didn't want me to volunteer for them because they said I didn't have a bra. I mean, seriously. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I decided I wanted to come on, on the podcast. How pathetic can you be? Yeah, there's a lot of that, unfortunately. A lot of, a lot of people treat treat people in a poor manner because of things they don't understand or they don't take the time mm -hmm. to understand. Um, I mean, you can't tell now that I had cystic acne or anything like that. The dermatolo dermatologist cleared it up with the ability, or not ability, but uh, Accutane. But I mean, I, look, I, I mean, I looked rough right around in the chin area, you know? And at that time I had the, that acne on my face and I think that had a lot to do with it. I didn't look good enough yeah. to volunteer for them uh shallow yep yep a lot of people like that unfortunately you run into a lot of them mm -hmm. bring up god forbid there's something wrong with you that they can't understand mm -hmm. gotta treat you treat you poorly because of it yeah no, i dealt with it a lot in retail accuse you of things you didn't do yep I dealt, I dealt with a lot of a lot of just being treated differently in retail whenever I'd have a flare-up. They'd mm -hmm. write you up left and right, try to get you fired just because you're, you know. Pick on you, bully you. Yeah, you crap because you can't keep up. Shoot, but. I had a job um, that I got. It was the first job that I got after being disabled. And um, my supervisor, I don't know what her problem was, but... I asked her for help. This was during training. I had just started. It was within my first roughly month of working there. And I asked her for help. She told me to do it myself. I said, okay. And whenever I screwed up, of course, because she wouldn't help me, um, it, was, um, it was on the math portion, uh, she threatened to fire me and did it in front of the whole office. I literally walked out. I didn't say a word. And it was so bad. My office mate apologized for her. Yeah, for her doesn't doesn't quite do the trick. No, that person's still still in the same mindset. Still gonna be an asshole. Yeah, I walked out. So, and then my last job that was that was that was fun. I was told not to ask questions. I would just learn it. Yeah, I would just naturally catch on. I didn't need to ask questions because I was being, um, oh, what's the word? Um, condescending. Oh, yes, that's, that's the word. By asking questions in training, I was condescending. Kind of Apparently, I intimidated the, the training, the trainer by asking questions. Defeats the purpose of training. Right. Can't, can't learn what you're doing. And then fast forward to just before I quit, they were complaining about my documentation being too detailed, blah, 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 blah. I asked them for an example of what they're talking about, what they want. And they're like, you should already know. Really? Okay, I quit. Yeah. <laughs> Navigating the workplace with a disability is fun. And well, not to mention they expected me whenever, you know, it would, it, whenever it would go back to like um, in person because everything was online due to COVID, mm. they expected me to live in my car. That was their words for uh, salary pay. No overtime. 
Why? That was the requirement of the job to keep the job. And uh, that was, nah, not worth it to me. That's, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Oh, yep. Working, working's always fun. I find it best work for the government if possible. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. I, I worked CPS for a year, but then I got sick. You, you currently, currently working or out on disability? No, I'm disabled. Okay. I'm on disability. But um, I do all the other things. I'm in the Women Igniting Change program, and I do a lot of volunteer work. And yeah, all the volunteering, community-based yeah. stuff, which is which is important. Oh, it's... So I stay busy regardless. Once I, once I figure out how to make enough money with the podcast, I'm just going <laughs> to do the podcast. Well, it'll be a brand by then. So it'll be, it'll well, be a whole I bunch of I love what I do now. I, I do. I absolutely love what I do now. You know? Um, so, I mean... Yeah, I'm not rich. I am on disability and I don't get paid for anything that I'm doing. But I love what I do. Yeah. 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 I'm I I really enjoy kind of talking to everybody, meeting everybody on the podcast and and helping spread it. And with the rebrand that's coming up, this is something I'm working on over the next two weeks. Um gonna be a lot more involvement, which I'm gonna gonna really enjoy. So kind of setting it up for for future growth. So I always enjoy this is my social social time because <laughs> I, I am not a social butterfly surprisingly um so this this counts as socializing for me but but I meet some cool people and I meet some people that are involved in in some really cool stuff and it's fun because I mean I don't know about a lot of other things that, that I that you can do but you don't you definitely don't connect with as, as many good people I would say that's a big thing. It's good, good people that actually care. You can go, I mean, you can pick any of your other hobbies and all the other people, you know, they're focused on, on their own thing. But mm -hmm. when you're in the advocacy space, when you're in the, in the charitable space, you meet some, run into some really good people that are actually like, I guess, heartfelt, mm -hmm. genuine, genuine, transparent, empathetic, understanding. You don't have mm -hmm. to explain yourself, and, it, and it's nice to be in a community where you can say something they just they understand. Right. First, when you say you're tired, and some random person's like, "Yeah, me too." Like you don't even understand the word "tired" compared right. to someone with right. a chronic illness. So it's it's just nice. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a good feeling. So yeah, I like it. But one of the th uh, things that uh, I had a problem with was access to medical insurance while I was in college. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was there. I didn't know anything about it. So I went all that time I was in college without medication for my disability. And that's also what contributed to the catatonia. Yeah. Yeah. Healthcare in America is bad. Really wow. bad. I talked to a couple people in other countries like the UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. They all have universal health care that's covered by their insurance and their taxes. And over here in America, it's like, nope, you got to get your own insurance. Oh, and by the way, medication is ungodly expensive. So hope your insurance yeah. covers it. Right. I mean, my uh, my infusions that I get every six weeks are about $8,000 in infusion before, uh, before my insurance kicks in. And that's on the low end from what I've heard. I've heard Remicade being as high as like 25 grand in infusion. Shoot, so. in college, I was, I was lucky to make rent, let alone... Yeah. medication <laughs> you know 
just yeah, to maintain. Yeah, most of my money goes towards medical bills and medical debt. The rest of it goes to rent and surviving, but mm-hmm. yep. It was rough in college. It really was. You know, in college, it's not cheap. Mm-mm. That's expensive. You know, you got print stuff. You got to buy those expensive books. That's like $500 plus every semester. Buy, buy a book that you only open twice. I never got that. I was hated. Ugh. I mean, it's, the unnecessary classes for your degree that have nothing to do with your degree that you're required to pay for. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Prerequisites. Yep. It's, it's nice that you're going to be, a, you know, a, a space engineer for launching, launching rockets into space and planning. If you, know, you can get a job. But to get there, got to make sure you take American Dance 101. It's required mm. as a prerequisite. Like, what? Yeah, just sucking extra money out of people and justifying it for no reason it has nothing to do with what you go there for. I hate it. I had a lot of electives. Mm-mm, nope. I pulled nineteen hours every semester. I was in the social work program and made straight A's. Nope. I was not a good student because the school <laughs> system is not set up very well. It's a very poor system for a lot of people. I started out in remedial math in college. So I was good at it. I was good at like a lot of school subjects. I was just not good at school or I wasn't, I mostly didn't do my homework. So I had good grades minus the homework. Well, there was two reasons why I've always been good in school. One is it's the cornerstone of my resilience. And two, the reason for that is that whenever I was in first grade, I watched this play and I don't remember the play or anything about it, but I remember the moral. The one thing nobody can ever take from you is what you know. So I actually took that to heart and I've used it ever since first grade. Because that is true. The one thing nobody can ever take from you. And I was used to things being taken from me. Mm -hmm. That's why it just really rang true for me and stuck with me all this time. Because wow, there's something somebody cannot take from you? Okay. Yep. I got something to work with. Something to hold on <laughs> to, something to work with. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. I, I always just had an issue because I, I, things I, things I was, I would enjoy, I would absorb too quickly for the school pace, so. Well, I mean, like, the reason I, I guess, I, to give a little backstory, uh, why that rang so uh important at that age was because whenever I was that young or before actually since like between the ages of uh birth to 10 mm-hmm. um I endured severe sexual physical emotional domestic violence complex trauma at the hands of my biological father and my older brother I was isolated not permitted to have friends and all that stuff that was the trauma that caused the PTSD. You know, it was so bad, a radio played in our basement constantly so the neighbors couldn't hear our screams. Jeez. It was essentially a torture chamber. Yeah, it's not, not a good environment to be in. I can see where that could, could definitely lead to PTSD. 
yeah and actually it was more traumatizing trying to get help than it was um the trauma itself because i was starting with a gun and cps came they watched him run at me and then they vanished they never came back yeah i had to tell again i had to change counties i had to change schools houses everything else until again i was 10 years old i trusted that social worker with the information and i still told her what was going on and she just left me there talk about traumatizing i was beaten numerous times for telling yep as a result of that say something and get in more trouble and deal with more because of it so mm-hmm. yeah he beat me specifically for trying to get him in trouble i mean and i'm talking fist blows to the head and everything else so i had my butt handed to me for it but i still told again it worked the second time yep yeah. a cop on a wild goose chase and a concerned fifth grade teacher gave me some help I was placed in kinship care, which wasn't much better because my brother took over where my dad left off because he was there too. But, you know, my dad was, you know, wasn't able to do anything to me at that time other than stalk. Mm-hmm. So, well, one step at a time. He ended, right? he ended up in prison. It took him five years to catch him, but he got 45 to 105 years without the possibility of parole. Jeez. His psychological found him to be an ingrained pedophile incapable of rehabilitation. He died of COVID in uh, Mount Olive Penitentiary last year. Wow. He was in his 80s. Jeez. So, well, at least at least they, uh, they locked him up for it. So that My brother good. also died last year of a drug overdose oh, before so. my dad. They both died the same year, 2020. Well, can't do anything else anymore. Nope. I know, I know, toxic family, it's, it's well, people that cause a lot of issues it can sometimes be a relief when they're finally, finally mm-hmm. gone. So it was relief for me. I know, I, I, got, I got one name on my list. Don't wish any ill will on anybody. No, but I didn't. I didn't wish any ill will. When when they pass away, like not gonna bother me in the slightest. It was like a release from my own prison because my brother made it his personal mission uh, until the day he died to punish me for what my dad did to him. So, uh, from let's see here, uh, trying to kill me with a butcher knife, stealing my identity. Um, beat me with a bell which is why sometimes it's important to get rid of toxic family when you can well whenever i got sick i didn't have a choice i was sick that's where the disability came into play you know and when everybody dropped me the only person that was left there was my biological mom and i had nowhere else to go I was a lot. I was considered a liability and dropped by everybody. Broken system. Yeah. It's supposed to help people, but doesn't always do a very good job. I mean, like my ex-husband started cheating on me whenever I got sick and throwing it in my face. 
and he kind of lost his mind. So he didn't visit me in the hospital. He went on a cruise instead um, and had a blast. Yeah. And I was with him. Yeah, he ended up with, let's see here. He he had one pregnant and was living with another woman by the time I divorced him. I was with him 13 years. And when you guys started dating before you got married, like he knew about everything. Yeah. Yeah. So some people. Some people. And that's because I've 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 talked a lot about that in, in dating in some of the past episodes. Like finding the right people to date to even attempt a relationship with is always is always interesting because i said there's like three levels of it there's people mm-hmm. that don't want to deal with whatever you're you know diagnosed with mm-hmm. they could care less they don't want to take the time to learn about it mm-hmm. there's the people that accept it and that is the limitation of it they accept that you're diagnosed with something mm-hmm. they don't want to learn a ton about it but they're okay with wherever you're at now which is usually in in and a good point because if you're you know at the point of dating it's usually not when you're at the lowest level of low and then there's the people that like go out of their way to understand it mm-hmm. take the time put in the effort when you don't you know you're not necessarily asking them to talking to them they'll look it up and, and kind of try to get an idea ahead of time those are the people you got to find which are super far and few in between and incredibly hard to find in general mm-hmm. but yeah because there's that for a lot of us, you know, we have our times where we're good and we can put in 100, 120, 130% effort. And then there's times where we're bad and you get 10%. Yeah. I will say hi. Say hi. That's, that's it. Like there's, there's no extra effort. There's no nothing. There's, I might make it out of bed in the morning and go take a shower levels of energy and that's it. Mm-hmm. So yeah yeah I've, I've had my share, fair share of uh bad relationships when it comes to dating with with the diagnosis and since i've been diagnosed and well shoot whenever i was with my ex-boyfriend for five years he claimed whenever i first got with him you don't need your meds you don't need your meds you it's all in your head you're you're, you're faking it you don't need those meds i said okay well let's try this out i quit my meds roughly six months later i couldn't even drive my car i couldn't get off the couch I ended up in the hospital. He didn't give a, he didn't care. Nope. So he kicked me out of the house. I was living with him. He kicked me out and almost wrecked my car. He didn't care. Yep. And then, oh, that was all on me. It had nothing to do with him. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That would be those, those toxic people that Mm -hmm. definitely, definitely had, uh, had a couple toxic relationships. One lasting a lot longer than it should have. But yeah, we come back to colitis would flare up. That'd be the that would be that would be the point in any argument. Mm-hmm. The list of things that we couldn't do would always come up. Mm-hmm. Always come up for what for you know she's doing something she shouldn't be doing, or or when I finally broke up with her because she was cheating. That was that was the excuse. Well, you couldn't go do a bunch of things okay so break up with me and move on like if if you can't keep up or you can't work with the limitations that unfortunately i have to deal with then don't be in a relationship with someone that has those kind of limitations like it's pretty straightforward mm-hmm. but uh yeah there's a lot of people like that that 
they'll accept it at the start, but once you start having problems, they'll they won't want to deal with it. And if anything bad happens in the relationship, they'll blame it on you. Yes, yes, he was because of it. My, my ex boyfriend was great at that. Like it's your fault because you're diagnosed with something that they uh-huh. knew about when they came into the relationship, but it's still your fault. Can't do these things. Can't keep up in this way. Can't. No matter have what, the energy he was to always do this. Right. Yeah. So those, he was those, always right. He knew it all. Those toxic people can just stay out of my life. And unfortunately, it takes being in a couple of those relationships to really understand and, and notice them ahead of time and notice those kind of people and the the actions that they take. But you know, I think I think I find it kind of funny though um, that you know he told me my my ex boyfriend he told me uh, that uh, I didn't need a job because I had a job cleaning his house. You know, and it's been four months since I've left him and I'm doing all this stuff. And so it's been within the last four months. So I think oh, I've got a better gotten, life now. You've gotten that involved in four months? Four months. Oh, you made it sound like you've been doing this stuff. Okay. No. That's, a, that's a lot of stuff to do. Uh, wow. Well, that's good. That's, that's a lot of stuff to get involved in in, in, in a short four months. Yeah. Hell, it took me two years to kind of fix fix my issues after the relationship and decide, hey, okay, you know what? It's time to grow and do some stuff. I took yeah, my life back. I yeah. left him, told him to find another girlfriend, and took my life back and got started. Started moving forward quick. Yep. Doing a bunch Pretty of much. stuff, which is good. <laughs> but congrats. congrats. I got tired of being norm. treated like crap. I mean, he told me he tolerated me. Okay, well, you go tolerate somebody else. Go find you another girlfriend. And your cats are safe because he told me that if I got COVID from his son, uh, or COVID period, uh, that so his cats wouldn't get an extra dose of exposure to COVID, I was on my own. That's when I told him, find another girlfriend. You say his cats? His cats. He was worried about his cats getting COVID. Yes. He didn't give a crap about me. I was worse than the poop on the bottom of his shoes. That's how he treated me. Can, can cats even get COVID? It's me. But oh. he was worried that they might get an extra dose of exposure if I caught COVID. I've heard some stupid things mm-hmm. that have come from COVID. But he was always right. That's That's definitely up there. <laughs> that is yeah. definitely definitely up there that he was worried about his cats being exposed to covid oh boy some people restore faith and hope in humanity and then some people with some of the things they say it's like this is this is why it's so bad sometimes mm-hmm. oh, but you know goodness. he was always right about everything he knew it all well know? yeah he didn't he had to be educated to understand that his cats could get COVID and he didn't want him to get COVID. Like, yeah, he, yeah. He's got to know everything that there is to know about everything. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm pretty Mr. educated when it comes to health-related things and COVID because, you know, being high-risk, we got to be a little oh, more Oh, yeah, aware. And he was to- a total professional on, you know, bipolar disorder as well. I didn't need my meds. Oh. Must have saved a lot of money on doctor's visits then because you, what's the point of going to those? Like, he never, he never paid for anything for me anyway. So 
subject matter expert who needs to go see a doctor just just ask him right right exactly he was the doctor he was smarter than a doctor without a degree so those people's I, I did my research you know they did their researches they're stuck in a hospital dying from covid have fun with that have fun with that mm-hmm. so yeah so that uh that was my last relationship so yeah i haven't had good luck there but yeah I've had my, my fair share of toxic ones yeah. now i'm at the point where it's like eh who needs a date i'm just gonna work yep. on a podcast <laughs> that's what i do well, I, I have I, I, I have better luck um than having personal relationships with like dating and stuff like that with working well, yeah, that's my thing is I'm, I'm meeting, <laughs> I'm meeting 10 times better people than I, I would ever find like locally just going and yeah taking, doing, doing whatever I do on a day-to-day basis. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to meet the people at, that are all super in advocacy and, you know, disability rights mm. and chronic illness rights at the bar. Surprise, surprise, like going to the local bar, I'm not going to find these people going you know fishing i'm not gonna find i mean i might find some cool people but you know not on the level that that i'm connecting with in that in this community so i don't know i'm all i'm all about just because i i put like 40 to 60 hours a week into the podcast on top Mm -hmm. of my 40 hour job well i'm gonna taking two weeks off right now because i have some leave to use but i'd rather dedicate you know 100 percent of my time to staying alive in the form of working and, and you know taking care of myself and furthering the podcast and growing a brand and a resource for people essentially the resource that i wish i had when i was first diagnosed mm-hmm. and anything else that comes outside of those two things it's like yeah if it happens it happens not not a focus so nothing wrong with that crazy thing how when you, you help other people like you end up helping yourself a lot in the process Yes, and growing a yes. lot from it, and it opens mm-hmm. up a ton of doors to meeting yes. really cool people, to being involved in really cool things. Yes, and honestly, I think the best people for us we meet through doing mm-hmm. those kind of things. That's how I started four months ago. I randomly shared my an article that I wrote for a foster care recovery devotional uh, randomly on Facebook. Just like a like a Facebook group or. No, just your uh, Facebook. I just randomly shared it on Facebook uh, with different organizations, different places um, mm. that I found that might find it interesting. Um, and the response I got was 100% positive. And that actually surprised me because uh, it was only 297 words. But I actually got connected with a lot of people with... Um, histories like mine or working with people with history like mine that I didn't know even existed it's crazy what happens when you start sharing and opening up and talking about things so I just uploaded the podcast that went live today was episode 56 I've been doing this Mm -hmm. for six months Um, I scaled back a little bit to two a week I was doing three a week just so I can expand into other projects and I think it was the first 12 or 13 episodes I talked exclusively 
to myself, which was which is always it's weird recording your own voice and just listening to yourself first having a conversation, at least at first. Kind of gotten used to it. But I talked about just what I dealt with in all the different realms of my life, how colitis changed me. I also talk about how it broke me as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the lowest points of, you know, depression and being suicidal every night. And with the podcast, I can track how every episode does. Every episode. Mm-hmm. See how many people listen to it, how many people interact with it, downloads and, and everything. And so far, my most interacted podcast was an episode where I explained Jason Mraz's I Won't Give Up and what it meant to me and how it got me through suicide mm-hmm. and, and the, the thoughts of suicide every night. Because right. I would, what I did, if I had a really bad night and I was really contemplating it, I would sing that song to myself in the mirror. When you lock eyes with yourself and sing a song like that to yourself, like that is, mm-hmm. it's got some power behind it. So yeah, it, once you start kind of opening up, talking about things, getting more involved, especially when it comes to those, you know, the, the important issues that a lot of people don't talk about, mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, I think kids are a really important issue that a lot of people don't talk about between yeah. like the foster care system the mm-hmm. you know the amount of kids that don't have families um yeah and on top of that the amount of kids that are getting diagnosed with things nowadays and they don't have a network i mean you and me we hop on facebook we can go in some of the facebook groups and we can get involved because you know a lot of these groups they got a group for everything colitis ptsd bipolar disorder just chronic illness groups disability groups and they're really catered towards adults because generally adults are more diagnosed with these things but kids are getting getting more and more exposed to diagnosed and dealing with these issues and it's like it's and it's often generational yep Mm -hmm. like my mom had uh mental illness yep whenever i was growing up yep my my grandfather had issues yeah yeah. My, my grandfather had, you know, um, digestive issues. My dad had colitis. I have colitis. And surprisingly, my dad's the, well, my dad's side of the family is cut out from my life because, you know, they're amazing individuals that are complete contribution to society. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a big issue and I'm, I'm, I'm all about talking my experience. I mean, I was 17 oh, yeah. when I got it. So I'm, I'm all about that. And my goal is in the way I look at it, like the question I ask all the time is like, what if, mm-hmm. what if that 10 year old that committed suicide, what if he didn't commit suicide? And because he was exposed to these conditions, this diagnosis for so long, what if he went to school for bioengineering? Mm-hmm. What if he started studying and putting his time and effort into curing the mm-hmm. disease that he has? So what if some of these kids that are committing suicide, what if they are the ones that could have cured cancer mm-hmm. or could have cured bipolar disorder or PTSD or came up with a better treatment plan, treatment option that helps people so much more? What if they took that incredible low that they're in because they're at such a young age, they get the mentoring and the help that they need from somebody in the community. And they decide to dedicate their Mm -hmm. time to the community. And they decide it at a young enough age 
where they can go to school for it. Well, that's actually kind of what I'm doing. Actually, mm -hmm. I've got a mission my, of my own um, and I'm flipping my negative situation into a positive one that's going to help, that will hopefully help people. Uh, recognizing the hearts and hands who actually helped me become who I am. Uh, and so it's actually two directional mm -hmm. um, and paying it forward as well. And it's my, that's what I wanted for my closure. That was my creative way of getting my closure. And that's, I mean, and, and that's, I, I think that's honestly what a lot of people in the advocacy space, regardless of what they're trying to help with or volunteering with, I think that's a big part of their closure. They've mm -hmm. gotten to that point, this, this is the last, you know, this is, they dealt with everything, they've accepted with all of it, and they're, they're okay with it. Now mm -hmm. they're taking that and like, hey, I want to do something with it. Yep, I want to educate, cool. I want to inspire. Mm -hmm. I want to empower, help. inspire, and encourage. And hopefully have an impact on people. And I mean, with, with a chronic illness, I go for everybody, but I definitely want to, I want to get to that point where I can have an impact on kids that are going through a lot of these diagnoses because it's just, the amount of things that I've had to deal with as an adult, mm -hmm. I mean, 17, yeah, adult. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine. So I want to make that kind of get that resource. I want to get that education out there too, because a part of the advocacy is to educate. And the more people that are aware of it, the more normal it is to have something, you know, that you're dealing with. And the more normal it is to deal with these things in a, in a public setting, you know, in a workplace setting, in a school place setting. And it's not this weird thing that nobody understands and that doesn't, they don't accept. It's like, okay, yep. Nope. They're just having a bad day. They're having a bad day. How can we help? That should be the response to people struggling with their diagnosis. Like if we're already in a workplace, if we're going to school, like it was a lot of effort to show up mm -hmm. a lot of the time. Like that was effort. The normal mm -hmm. person just shows up because they have to, like we show up because we have to, if we want to keep a job or, you know, because we have to go to school, but it requires so much more energy, mental focus, physical energy, you know, just, just to, to make it happen. So when we're having a bad day, it's just, it's really nice to hear, like, we understand you're having a bad day. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Everybody has bad days. Like we, we unfortunately have them a little bit more often. Um, and, you know, depending on what you're diagnosed with, it might be a lot more often than the average person, but you know, we're, we're, we're trying, we're putting in effort. I mean, I don't know about a lot of people, but at my job, I do a damn good job. You know, I get, I get rated pretty well because I'm a really good employee and, and I make sure I get everything that I need to get done. So I put the effort in when I can, but on my bad days, like, just let me sit at my desk. <laughs> you know, I showed up, just let me chill at my desk or let me go home a little early. Like I'll make up, you know, I might have my bad days here and there, but it, it, I'll, it'll balance out. It'll be okay. Mm -hmm. So. But actually in the Women in Writing Change program, I'm working on an initiative I named Rise from Shattered Silence to Strength. And I want to open a center that is, has trauma-informed education for foster care recipients. So. That's what my focus is with the, um, the Women Igniting Change program. So it's funny you mentioned education there. So I'm in, I'm in a couple of different groups. And one of the groups, they run a podcast and they were kind of, they're, they're a bigger advocacy group, uh, Diversibility. And I was on one of their episodes and we were talking about 
a new movement called We the 15. And it's a movement by an, a nonprofit organization to recognize the 15% of the world that is disabled, which equates to 1.2 billion people. And one of the things we were talking about was <clears throat> when it comes to disability inclusion and advocacy, what to do with companies that just jump on the bandwagon or people that just jump on the bandwagon mm-hmm. that are just doing it to say they do it so they can profit from it in some way, to say that, say that they care. And my response was, was rather the polar opposite to, to everyone else in, in the podcast and in the discussion, because my view on it was education and exposure is education and exposure. If a company with 100 million customers says that they're going to be a part of something, uh-huh. I don't care if the company cares or not. At the end of the day, that company is exposing 100 million people to resources. Uh-huh. They're exposing them to, even if it's, hey, get involved, or, oh, we're involved in this movement. Now, that's 100,000 customers that now know about the movement. Mm-hmm. that now can go look up the movement if it affects them and mm-hmm. can now get involved through the core understanding of it. So I'm all about education and, and spreading just the general awareness because mm-hmm. the more people that know about it, whether they care about it or not, I think is irrelevant. But the more people that know about it and that are exposing it to other people, it's going to reach the people that need it. Right. I don't care if it has to go through 10 people that don't care about it. If it goes through those 10 people and then reaches the one person that needs it, that's what matters. Exactly why I keep sharing my story. You know, there's going to be a ton of people that listen. Yeah, there's going to be a ton of people that are exposed to it. And and you see it all the time with all the different movies. If it doesn't affect you, you see it. But you see all the celebrities, you see all the big people in, you know, movies, companies, everybody that has influence on things, they jump on it. And some of them get called out with like, oh, you really don't care. You're just jumping on the bandwagon. So what? That's millions of people that engage with that person or that company on a regular basis. And 15% of them are disabled, mm-hmm. just statistically. Well, there's also a stigma, even among the professional community with people who have bipolar disorder. Yep. Because I went to marriage counseling with my ex-husband. They flat out told him because I had bipolar disorder, I would cheat on him statistically proven they said i never cheated on him but i was convicted before i because the, you know the therapist said so yeah because i was bipolar another part of our great healthcare system yes gotta love it so so yeah i'm 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 all about educating hey look at the end of the day i got a broken butt if you want to come learn about it you're more than welcome to Mm-hmm. just might make you a little uncomfortable because it's a butt <laughs> i just love to be accused of things i don't do yep and you know you know the funny part about that is a lot of the people that usually throw those accusers out it's because that's that's something that's on their mind and that they're actively doing like mm-hmm. my ex used to accuse me all the time of cheating yeah i didn't I, well i'm a, that, that I'm was a gamer my... i'm a, she would get mad like i'm a gamer all of my free time i game I waste a lot of time doing it, but I game. And she would accuse me all the time because, you know, if I'm gaming, I'm not paying attention. So I might not respond to a text for like an hour. And then I get the whole, oh, you're cheating on me. With who? Minecraft? Like, (laughs) what? I'm sitting here in my room 
online gaming with a bunch of guys like who am i possibly cheating with <laughs> hey so i had that i had that too with my ex-husband because he he said he accused me of cheating on him his friend actually he said called him and told him that i was at the local walmart in a mini skirt which i don't wear mini skirts but i was there with four guys at the same time i was hollering for our dog and his dad was downstairs playing music Oh, and his dad people, actually vouched for me. Some people will accuse you of doing it just because <laughs> it's what they're doing. It's what they're doing and it's on their, you know, it's in their mind. So now they just magically think you're doing it too because they're that low of a person that they'll do it. Well, why wouldn't you do it? So yeah, this the kind of annoys me. It's like I'm so involved in my own things. I don't have time for that. It's a lot of effort too. Like it's a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. I don't put that much effort into into that. Like, no, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. Oh. So Very I like great. my advocacy spam. I'm just keep focusing on my podcasts. That's what I do. I I stay focused on my volunteer work and the stuff I'm doing with the Women in Green Change program, and I share my story whenever I can because I want to reach that one person. Hey, platform gets big enough and might be 10 people or a hundred people or a thousand. The more the merrier, but I want to make sure I get reach that one. Yep. You change, you can only change your world one person at a time. Yes. So start small and keep growing and you start with one person. You help that person and you go on to the next and the next and the next and you get as many as you can. And I would hope for me that it's a really big number. It's my goal mm-hmm. is to reach as many people as possible. And the, you know, the bigger the podcast gets, the more people listen to it and hopefully the more people it helps. Um, and, you know, it'd be nice to get at that point where even if someone listens to it and it might not apply to them, be like, Hey, their coworker has colitis or, you know, a specific diagnosis or their friend has it or their child or spouse and they can be like, hey, I heard about this podcast. I don't know anything about it, but they're talking about a bunch of different diagnoses and resources. You should give it a listen. Like that's that's the end all goal is just have it spread and, and to get to all those people that really need it. Because mm-hmm. those of us in the advocacy space, for the most part, we're good. We're mm-hmm. good. Like we, we've, we've been through hell. We made it past it. And mm-hmm. a lot of the time we're ready for it again. We're like, all right, you know what? We're ready. It's not going to affect me the same. Like, come on. But we can handle it. One of the most surprising things for me with uh, with regard to my disability and stuff like that, whenever I got sick, the most unexpected person showed up uh, into the picture. And it was not something that I really expected given her previous behavior. Mm -hmm. It was out out um, out of the ordinary. Um, for me, um, definitely not something I expected whenever I got sick, my mom was there, my biological mom. Uh, she filed my divorce papers. She did my divorce paperwork, um, got my student loans, uh, forgiven, um, did the paperwork for that. Cause I, I was three sheets to the wind. So I, yeah, I don't remember. So. Um, and then she also, uh, filled out my disability paperwork. That la- I mean, the last one alone is a lot yeah let alone everything i mean filing for disability is a nightmare in a lot of cases 
So, and she took care of all that. I didn't thing. Damn, that's like sorry for everything I did <laughs> or didn't do. <laughs> or didn't do. <laughs> yeah. Let me try to fix it. <laughs> what you dealing with? Oh, I got that. <laughs> yeah, she took care of all the all the stuff there, and I was just like, like I came to, and I was like, what? Like. <laughs> You yeah, sure I was just scratching sure my this? head like, where'd you come from? <laughs> I mean, really, I was just like, uh, okay, thanks. Where, like, okay, funny, where's my actual mom? <laughs> yeah. It's where, like, where'd, where'd, what'd you do with her? Yeah, I was, Why do you was look the, like her? that was the most surprising thing for me. You know, she, she has made a hundred mistakes, but for that period of time, it's like, what the heck happened to you? Where's his mom coming from? I don't know what you were smoking, but you should keep doing it. Like it's working. It's like, yeah, keep keep going there. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but whatever's whatever's happening. I must have keep, done something. Keep doing right? it. What's up with this? <laughs> but yeah, that was the most surprising thing for me because I mean she didn't attend my high school graduation because like uh she was with some guy. And I cried all the way through my high school graduation. I had the group home there, my aunt was there uh people that like everybody else was there my friends obviously you know and stuff like that but my mom didn't show up and I cried all the way through my high school graduation because of it so where that mom came from it's like hello <laughs> I'm like blown. okay <laughs> so I was utterly shocked yeah yeah I can I can understand that there would have to definitely be some uh and what she did was no easy feat. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I've had colitis for 10 years now, and I don't even know, I wouldn't even know where to start if I wanted to attempt to file disability, let alone everything else that was listed filing for divorce and student loan paper. God, there's too many adult things listed there. That we she don't deal with on a regular basis. She oh. even never missed a day that I was in the hospital during visitation hours. She showed up every single day. When my ex-husband was gone on a cruise and never called, never did anything. And did God yeah. like reach out and touch her and be like, <laughs> so, well, it's a puzzle to me. Yeah. It's well. like she swooped in like a big old bird. Hello, I'm here. <laughs> big puzzle there <laughs> so hey, yeah it's, no it's complaints there so but I mean, improvements like, and improvement okay. right like, yeah okay. i have to give her kudos on that you know i'll give her credit words too you know i just kind of puzzled me making up, <laughs> yeah, making yeah up i was literally scratching my head i, I still right. scratch my head over that i mean whatever works whatever works yeah so something some things you can't show up super late for so well good good ending point i i do appreciate you coming on well i appreciate the opportunity absolutely and thank you guys for stopping by and listening to the podcast i appreciate everyone make sure you guys stop and check out chronicliving.info got a new website up and running that's going to be the main area to find all the social media content as well as accounts to so make sure you guys stop by if anyone's looking to share their story volunteer either time or experience there's also going to be some links on there of how you guys can get involved 
As always, I appreciate you guys, and I'll see you in the next one.